Hi, I'm Jim Brett, President and CEO of the New England Council. Thanks for tuning in to this month's episode of Inside the Corner Office, where we catch up with the leaders of some of our region's most well-respected businesses and organizations to learn more about their career paths and about the institutions they lead. Our guest this month is Richard Berg, the CEO of Fallon Health, one of our region's leading providers of health insurance and health care services since 2015. We had a great discussion about Fallon's work to advance health equity, combat food insecurity, and provide comprehensive care to seniors throughout the region. Richard also reflected on his 25-year tenure at the organization and some of his proudest accomplishments as he prepares to retire later this year. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. It's great to see you. You know, uh, we've heard from our members that part of what they love about these programs is that they get to learn more about the leaders behind some of our region's most successful businesses and organizations. So let's just start there and talk a little bit about your career path and how you got to where you are today. You've had a long career with Fallon Health, serving in a capacity of different roles, but becoming the CEO in 2015. Can you walk us through your career path and how you got to where you are today? Sure, thank you, Jim, for having me on this show. Um, it's great to be associated with the New England Council and your outstanding leadership of that organization. And so it's a real treat for me to spend a few minutes with you talking about Fallon Health. Um, I, started out, uh, I started out working at the State House and had um, an experience there as a legislative aide and I, little did I know then how much that experience would prepare me for where I am today. Um, the, um, what you learn in the State House in Massachusetts, I'm sure it's the case anywhere, you know, really can't be reduced to a book. Um, it, it really is, you learn it, um, you know, kind of by osmosis. And to this day, uh, that experience, which I really value, that experience has helped me uh, be a healthcare executive, which you know involves so much interaction with the state and the federal government. Um, and again, when working there, I came to appreciate the important role of state government and and by extension the federal government in the healthcare space. So, how many years did you work in the state house? Not long, two years, just two years. Um, uh, but it was, and I would have, I would have stayed, but I had another opportunity come my way. Uh, and I was traveling from Worcester, you know, I'm a Worcester person. Uh, I live here now and I've lived here for many, many years. And so I had an opportunity to come home, but, um, but I stayed connected with uh, the public sector through uh, participating in campaigns and uh, following politics. And I've, mm -hmm. I've always loved and I really admire people who step forward and, and run for public office. You know, I never did that. Um, I worked as a staff person, but I, I really do admire the work of public office, people like yourself who step mm -hmm. forward and, and give of themselves. So uh, although I was only there for two years, I did uh, did stay, I stay connected to this day. Yeah, right. But you didn't get the political bug to run for office. That's amazing. Most people do when they get in that building. <laughs> they do, yeah. yes. No, I did not. Okay, so you've had, uh, in this day and age, it's, it's pretty uncommon uh, to find someone who's been with the same employer 
for so many years. What is it about Fallon that has kept you there all those years? Yeah, it's a good question. It is, I guess it is uncommon uh, and, I, and, I, and it's too bad, but I'll tell you in my case, I've been at Fallon for 25 years. Um, it's, it's, it's the people. I mean, I would say, and I think many of your um, CEOs would probably say, you know, the most important thing about a company is its corporate culture. And Fallon has a very strong corporate culture. It, it existed when I got here. And then when I was fortunate enough to be named CEO, I really viewed that, uh, nurturing that, sustaining it, building on it as a really prime responsibility uh, in my role as CEO. So I came here and, and stayed primarily because of the corporate culture, but also because of the mission. Fallon is a community-based organization, has a mission of serving um, populations that um, need good access to healthcare. And I believe in that mission and it's nurtured me uh, for all these years. And uh, you, you replaced a good man, Pat Hughes, who's a dear friend of both you, yours and mine. And uh, I'll be seeing him hopefully in the next month. Uh, we usually get together in the summer for a uh, get together. He is a great man. And it was a privilege for me to work for Pat while he was CEO and, and I was proud to step into the role when he retired. So yeah, please give him my best. I will. So how does that extensive history with the organization affect the way you approach your role as the CEO there? Well, probably in a couple of ways. One is I, you know, when I came to Fallon, I came in a government affairs role. So I came here to build uh, Fallon's government relations program and then eventually assumed other responsibilities. So I've sort of worked my way up. And so I have an appreciation. I hope I have an appreciation for all the different contributors to the organization. You know, at one point I was a contributor in a certain area and then that expanded and expanded further. So I think I bring that many years of working my way up. I, I have an appreciation for that. Um, I also uh, appreciate, um, I guess, the, um, the corporate culture, the things that make Fallon special because I've been here for so long. Um, and, I, and I think I bring that, my, my understanding of its history. So it has a very rich history. Fallon, uh, Jim, was founded in 1977 at a time when many other health plans were being established in Massachusetts. Some are still here, some are not. Uh, Fallon was created at that time by the then Fallon Clinic, which was, is a very fine multi-specialty provider group. Uh, we are now separate organizations, although we work very closely together. And I've, I've really been here for half of Fallon's entire history. And I think I, I you know, sometimes uh, the folks I work with joke that I'm the class historian. And, and, I, and, I, and I am in some ways. I remember a lot of the things that have happened in the past. And that, is, that gives me perspective, particularly when you're facing a challenge. It helps to have perspective. Uh, and so I, I think I bring, I, what I bring to the role is having worked my way up, um, the perspective of many, many years, uh, a real love for the mission. You know, I, I have, um, I meet with all the new employees. About every two weeks, we have a class 
of new employees, 10 to 15 people. Mm-hmm. And I really like doing that because I view that a little bit of telling them about my, my views on Fallon, you know, our history, our rich history, what we mean to the Worcester community, what we mean to the communities that we exist in. You know, we, we, are, we operate across the entire state of Massachusetts. We also operate into New York, New York, outside of Buffalo, New York. And so it gives me an opportunity when I meet with our new staff, our new colleagues, tell them a little bit about my history, but more importantly, tell them about Fallon's history. You know, just a few months ago, you announced that you're going to retire at uh, the end of the year. That certainly could not have been a very easy decision for you. And looking back at those 25 years with this wonderful organization, how has uh, Fallon changed over the years? And what are your proudest accomplishments at Fallon? Well, that's a lot of parts to that question. So Fallon has changed a lot over the years. I think it's actually kind of the secret to our success is that you're, we're a company that has had to change as healthcare changes. You know, there was a time when, you know, we would only, we would only do business with Fallon Clinic. And then as consumers wanted to see more and more providers, we had to change and open up to more providers. Um, we had to offer new and different products to the marketplace. So we've changed a lot, but probably the most recent dramatic change, an important change at Fallon, was the decision that we made a few years back to focus exclusively on government programs, Medicaid, Medicare, programs that serve people who are eligible for both Medicare and Medicaid, and the Massachusetts Health Connector. Um, and that's what we do now. That's We do that in New York. We do that in Massachusetts. And I'm very proud of the decision we made that this board of directors made. It was a very brave decision mm-hmm. to say, you know what, we can do best as a company and do best by our mission if we focus. We cannot be all things to all people. We can't serve every segment of the market. And the commercial market it's well served. There are a lot of good plans out there. So we decide we'll focus where we can make a difference and it's in those areas. So that's that's probably the biggest, most recent change. And we made that change. And I'm very, you know, you say what, there's a lot of things you know, that I'm really proud of about this company, but we made that change during the COVID-19 pandemic. We had been planning to make that change the pandemic hit, everything changed, right? As you know, no business was unaffected by it. We were not affected. We were, we were deeply affected by it. And I'm happy to talk about that. But we said, you know what? We have a strategy. We need to execute on it. We cannot just stop and wait for this very, you know, this one once in a hundred year event to, um, derail us from where we knew ultimately we'd have to be. We could have waited till after the pandemic, we'd still be in the same place. So we made the decision. We said, we're gonna deal with the the pandemic. We're gonna serve our members to the best of our ability. And we're gonna move forward with this strategy. And we didn't cut off those products that we decide to move away from. We did that very slowly, not during the pandemic, but really towards the kind of subsiding of it. Can you talk a little bit about what you went through during the COVID? 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So um, companies like Fallon, I came to learn, were already operating in a fairly hybrid work environment when the pandemic hit. For Fallon, we were actually very much an in-office company. And we had to move from almost 100% in office. The building I'm in, we had 800 people a day in the building. And we had to move within days to completely remote, move everybody out, um, set everyone up with their computers and their connectivity. And we told people, take your chairs home if you need to take your chairs home and get yourself set up. And um, uh, so we had to do that, uh, first of all. Um, at the same time, we serve, as I indicated, a um, in many cases, a very vulnerable population. And so we had to make sure that we were communicating with our members. In many cases, we called uh, uh, entire product lines. We reached out to every single member to see, okay, how are you doing? What do you need? Um, are you getting access to your medications? Are you getting access to your doctors? So we did that where we reached out and um, we, sent, uh, we sent communications to our members. Um, I remember one member, um, you know, I, and I would send things, you know, letters that I would sign that were sent to lots of people. And we sent a, a COVID package to all of our members. You know, they had a mask and some, um, uh, you know, some of the spray for your hands and things like that. And one of our members out in the Berkshires wrote me a letter and said, you know, thank you very much. But what I really need is help putting my air conditioner in my apartment. So I went over, walked over to our chief operating officer. I said, Emily, could you, could you call somebody and see if you can put this gentleman's air conditioner in? She's like, oh yeah, we can take, we can do that. And we did. And, wow. um, you know, that was the kind of thing that, you know, we were fortunate. We're, you know, we're not a, I mean, we're a $1.8 billion company, but in the health insurance world, that's, um, that's not huge. And so mm -hmm. we have the ability to interact with our members at that level. Um, so that's one thing we did. The other thing we did, Jim, which I'm so proud of, is we run a program for frail elders at Fallon called PACE, the Program of All-Inclusive Care for the Elderly. And I've talked with you about this before. Yes. It's a wonderful program. We run one of the largest in the whole country. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that was happening was, um, as you know, and it was for perfectly understandable reasons, nursing homes we're not able to allow loved ones to come in and visit. So one of the things we did for our PACE participants who needed um, a nursing home care was we took one of our clinical sites and we turned it with the state support. We went to the state, they were wonderful to work with. And we turned it into a 24 seven um, clinic. And individuals who would have been in a nursing home who were getting discharged from the hospital, we had them come and stay there. These were our participants. Um, we had staff who were wonderful. They volunteered, even in, despite COVID, to, to work there. We put them up at separate housing so they wouldn't expose their families. But the thing that I'm so proud of that we did is we said to the families of our patients who are in this 24-7 clinic, you can come visit them. 
we want you to come visit them. We had all the right precautions and everything. And, you know, that meant the world to so many people because you have a frail loved one, a mother, a father, an aunt, an uncle, a sibling. And, you know, they're, they're struggling and they're in essentially a nursing home. And we had the ability to flex our model and let loved ones come in. And I think that was that that showed a lot of creativity on the part of our clinical staff. And and um, I'm very proud of them for doing that. Uh, how how large was that clinic? You know, it wasn't too large. I wish it could have been larger, but our typical our typical clinic sites are about 15,000 square feet. And when they they really they they operate, they're almost like nursing homes without beds um, where you stay overnight. We have doctors there, nurses, occupational therapists. We have we serve meals, we have activities, we have a whole rehab room. They're really wonderful. And so what we did is because people were not coming in due to COVID and we we're delivering care in the home, we were able to then convert this into a 24-7 clinic. Mm. Um, you know, so it was it was it ran for several months uh, successfully. Jeez, that's great. That's a great story. And kudos to your staff that you indicated many of them volunteered. To do that and with the conditions of COVID, not knowing whether they're going to, yeah. you know, contact it the, itself, and yet they were willing to do that, says an awful lot about the employees' pride in working at Fallon. And you know, Jim, it's true, and I, you know, it's it, it's a hundred percent true. The other thing is, Worcester is such a great community, so we were looking for a place where they could be housed. This staff who were going to leave their families for a period of time. And um, I remember speaking with the president of Worcester State College, who you know well, and Barry. Barry, and they gave us, they gave us dormitories. They said, it's all yours. Here you go. And uh, they were like townhouses. And they said, there you go. Take them. They're yours. Let your staff move in there. Um, they just rolled out the red carpet for them. And, you know, Worcester, you know, I'm uh, I would, I, I'm willing to say I'm very biased about Worcester. I love this community. Yeah. It's a community that um, is just very special to me. And that was just one example of how, you know, there was not a second thought. It was, yep, we're here to help in any way we can. And, and you know, that's the kind of thing. There's no bureaucracy around it. The state was flexible. Our staff were wonderful. Barry was great. Um, it's a great story. Oh, it's yeah, a great story. It is a great story. You know, Fallon Health is uh, rather unique uh, among uh, Massachusetts health plans and that you already indicated you offer primarily government sponsored health insurance plan. Tell us a little more about the communities that uh, Fallon uh, serves. Sure. So uh, we have a uh, we serve a, our largest um, group of individuals we serve are on Medicaid. So and that's Medicaid is many things. In this particular case, it's for individuals who qualify uh, based on income mostly, um, and they're under 65. And so we partner with uh, Berkshire Health System, we partner with Reliant Medical Group in Worcester, and we partner with Atrius, which is the largest multi-specialty group practice in the greater Boston area. And we work exclusively with them to provide coverage and coordinated care for individuals on Medicaid. In Medicare, we offer a variety of programs. We have a traditional 
Medicare Advantage Health Plan. And you talk about the history of Fallon. Fallon was actually the very first Medicare plan in the country. Back in 1980, now, you know, you can't turn the TV on without seeing an, an advertisement for a Medicare plan. Back in 1980, uh, when Margaret Heckler was the secretary of, I guess it was called Health Education and Welfare at the time, um, they, this, the federal government was going to experiment with this alternative to fee-for-service Medicare. And Fallon was selected to be the first plan to participate in that. So we started in 1980, we're in it to this day. And uh, that's, so that's the second product we, we offer. We also offer uh, a Medicare product to individuals who are also eligible for Medicaid. So in the lingo of the business, they're called duals, right? Medicare and Medicaid. And that's a wonderful program that we offer that offers all kinds of extra benefits and support for individuals who are over 65, um, but also income eligible. It's a wonderful program. We call it Navicare. Massachusetts, like in so many things with healthcare, is a very forward-looking state and offering this program. Many other states don't offer this kind of full integration. Um, and you know that started in the legislature with, uh, that, that required an act of the legislature many years ago, Senator Dick Moore, Senator Harley Chandler, I'm sure I'm forgetting some, but they, they created that program and it mm -hmm. does very, very well. And then I've mentioned our PACE program, which we call Summit Elder Care. We offer, we, 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 we offer this program for frail elders. So these are individuals who could be in a nursing home long-term, but instead they choose our program and we help them live at home. And we have a PACE center in Lowell. We have one in Worcester, of course. We have one in Springfield. We have one in Lemonster uh, and in Webster. That's the other program. Then we offer a program, a subsidized program on the Massachusetts Health Connector. And then mm -hmm. uh, lastly, we offer a couple of programs in Western New York, including a program for frail elders uh, in the Buffalo area. And uh, we're very proud of that program. And um, uh, we have a, a good sized staff out there. They're all Buffalo Bills fans. Uh, yeah. So uh, we, we, we have divided loyalties at times, mm -hmm. but uh, it's, uh, so that's, those are the programs we offer. I mean, the PACE program is, is just terrific in keeping people independent, keeping them at home but also saving the government a lot of money as opposed to putting them into a assisted living or a nursing home. So, I mean, yeah, it, it really is the way healthcare should be. And, you know, mm -hmm. one of the things that we we've enjoyed doing and actually, you know, the new England council has helped us with this mm -hmm. is, you know, we have uh, been in touch with um, um, folks in Connecticut that are looking at pace, New Hampshire, uh, Maine, uh, so, you know, my hope is that the model will spread uh, yeah. throughout New England. It should. There is a PACE program, a very fine one, in Rhode Island. So I think eventually it'll, it, the good news will spread to the, to the other states in the New England Council region. And I noticed you, you uh, gave kudos to Harriet Chandler Worcester, naturally, you know. Of course. Uh, yeah, no, she, she truly was an outstanding uh, legislator all those years. I had the pride and the honor of working side by side with her, but she was just a joy to work with, but very, very bright and uh, and uh, reflected so well on her uh, 
her district and her constituents. But uh, she is a she's a gem that uh, Worcester should be very proud of. We are very proud of her. Yeah, we've had many uh, healthcare uh, leaders on this program over the past uh, couple of years, including uh, other uh, health plan CEOs as well as hospitals and uh, health system CEOs. And one topic that is front of mind with many of them is health equity. Can you tell us a little more about Fallon's initiatives to ensure equitable access to health care for your members? Sure. You know, it's, it is something um, sad to say that um, has been talked about the entire time that I've been involved in healthcare. And um, I think that I do think, and this is the positive side, mm -hmm. that there is there is genuine momentum today to address it. Um, I think everyone knows the evidence is indisputable that um, there are different uh, different experiences of the healthcare equity uh, healthcare um, system. Uh, based upon um, factors, social determinants of health, um, your background, your education, um, where you live, um, and for reasons that you know, it, it's it, it, you know, people have different health outcomes as a result of those differences that you know they have nothing to do with. They're they're born in a zip code. Uh, and a certain zip code, they're born a certain socioeconomic status, um, they come from a different country. Um, and so I think uh, health equity is finally getting some momentum. And at Fallon, um, especially because we serve such a diverse population, I feel really an obligation to um, advanced our health equity agenda here. And so we have made a multi-year commitment. And I think there's no better way to know if you are making progress to then to, then to measure yourself by objective third-party standards. And so in, in the industry that we're in, we are credited by an organization called NCQA, National Committee for Quality Assurance. And NCQA has uh, in the last two years, uh, rolled out a health equity accreditation um, designation. So we have made a commitment, it's a multi-year effort on our part. We have made a commitment as an organization to seek that designation. That requires us as an organization to take very concrete steps to uh, embrace health equity as an objective here at the company, changing policies, changing processes, measuring what we do. Gather, the most important thing is gathering information about the population you serve so that you can know, you can then begin to see, okay, these different segments, how are they experiencing the healthcare system? Um, it's, uh, it's very important. It's something that I'm proud to say the Fallon Health Board of Directors um, is 100% behind, and in some, some cases, really nudging us forward. We talk about it on a regular basis at our board meetings. Uh, I am sure we will continue to do so, and I'm really anxious for us to 
uh, to get to that point where NCQA says, yes, Fallon, you're doing this the right way. Um, our workforce is changing and has to change. Um, we serve um, a population that speaks dozens of different languages. And so we recruit a workforce that can speak those languages, that understand different cultures. And there are very real differences um, between uh, different communities we serve. Even in Massachusetts, if you're in Lowell, there's a population there that's different from the population we serve in Fall River or different from the population we serve in Worcester or in Springfield. And um, so we're, I'm very excited about it. Uh, you, you know, I'm excited to really ride, in some ways ride the momentum that exists today around health equity. And I just hope that that continues. I think Massachusetts is well positioned as a state to do that. We have, uh, you know, I think we have political leaders who care about it. And uh, so that's what we're doing. Great. I know that uh, food uh, security has also been a top priority for Fallon in recent years. As we know, access to healthy food is key to an individual's overall health. Can you tell us some of, uh, you know, Fallon's initiatives to help alleviate food insecurity in the communities you serve? I might just add, again, Worcester's own Jim McGovern is, is the, uh, the leader of the, uh, the Food Insecurity Caucus in, in, in Washington is so, so well respected on that issue, but he hammers that all the time about the food insecurity. But again, a plug for Worcester, again, uh, one of your leaders uh, from the neighborhood here. Yeah, he is a leader in that regard, and, and, um, and we're very proud of him for doing that. So at Fallon, we have uh, made it a priority in our corporate giving. So we, we make, we donate um, to the community um, in um, gifts and volunteer time and, and related, related activities, over a million dollars a year to the community. And our focus, while it's not exclusively on food insecurity, it is our focus. And so um, every, you know, every month we have an internal committee that makes donations um, to uh, food banks. We have teams of volunteers who go in and build food pantries. Uh, we partner with other organizations. You know, we partner, for example, with the Worcester Red Sox and uh, we have a strikeout hunger campaign with them. So. Every time a Woosox pitcher uh, throws a strikeout, um, strikes out someone, we uh, donate $50 to the Worcester County Food Bank. Every year we donate 50,000, really comes out to about 50,000 a year that we donate to the Worcester County Food Bank. Um, you know, we've done food drives at Polar Park. Uh, it's really, and, and, and then we also support uh, food and security efforts across the Commonwealth particularly in those areas where we um, have a presence. So it, it has, and you know, you, I'm sure your listeners have all heard the term, the social determinants of health, right? So uh, what is it that uh, determines uh, well-being? And many of them, as I said before, 
are socially driven. They're not, um, they're not, um, you know, whether you, you know, run five miles a day, they're more have to do with your circumstances. And in the case of uh, the, those social determinants of health, access to healthy food is a very important one. And so we feel that it fits very well with our mission as a community-based organization to focus on food insecurity. And, and as you said, Congressman McGovern has made this a top priority. And so we're proud to, to, uh, to do our part with him. Yeah, right. I know that Medicare uh, recipients constitute a, a large percentage of your members and was very impressed to learn about the, uh, uh, the approach that uh, Fallon takes to uh, elder care. Tell us a little more about the uh, Fallon's uh, the Summit Elder Care Program. Sure, so that's our PACE program, as I said before, and I, and I, mm -hmm. and I appreciate the opportunity to talk more about it. So um, I would, it's, it's a program that we never get tired of talking about. It's a program that, um, it, you know, as I said, exists in, we have sites across Massachusetts and we call it Summit Elder Care. That's the program of all-inclusive care for the elderly. We have, as I said, we have sites, we employ doctors, nurses, health aides, occupational therapists. And when someone signs up for that program and they have to be nursing home eligible, uh, when someone signs up for that program, we put together a plan of care with them and their family. And that person, um, we help that person. Basically, the point of the program is to help someone live as independently as possible for as long as possible. So when the day comes and that individual does need long-term care in a nursing home, we pay for that. They, they, we pay for that. Once they join our program, we are responsible for all of their Medicare expenses, all of their Medicaid expenses, all of their pharmacy expenses, uh, their transportation. There's really nothing that's excluded. Um, and then if when the time comes, you need a nursing home, we cover that too. So we work very closely with the families uh, or just with individuals. Um, sometimes they like to come to our center. You know, we have the center, centers open every day of the week, but on average people come two, two and a half days a week. Uh, we bring a lot of the care to them in their homes. Uh, we help them uh, with uh, their medications. We make sure they get to their doctor's appointments. Uh, we. Um, you know, we have transportation to and from our sites. And we have this new program that we've started as part of it called Patient Priorities. And that program is we work with the individual, our clinicians work with the individual and the families to ask the person, well, what's most important to you as you age? You know, and, and sometimes it's, I wanna see, I wanna see my grandchildren graduate from college, or I wanna be able to go to the synagogue on Saturdays. Or I want to be able, to, I just want to be able to spend time, you know, with my grandchildren. And we build the plan of care around those priorities, not around, did you get, did you get this, did you get this annual test? Or how many specialist appointments have you been to? Those are all very important, but those are the means to the end, not the end in themselves. And our doctors are just so wonderful and they, they're rolling out this program. It's a, it's a um, proven program. It's what we've always done, but it's a little bit more formalized now. 
Do you have a problem finding good quality healthcare workers? Yes. There seems to be a shortage all over the Commonwealth, all over New England, uh, and, and just trying to, you know, even retain, never mind recruit. But it seems to be a big, big impediment with so many of the healthcare. Are you facing that and how are you addressing it? We are facing it. I don't think we're any different than anyone else. Uh, the, we employ hundreds and hundreds of nurses, both at our Summit Elder Care and within our health insurance plan. So we need to recruit, uh, we need to recruit nurses. Everyone knows that's a very hard field to recruit for. We employ doctors, nurse practitioners, um, various occupational therapists, um, activity therapists, health aides. So there's really no, you know, other than, you know, specialists like surgeons, which we don't employ. Um, we have to, we have to, re we have to recruit a lot of different specialties. And it is difficult. Uh, we have pretty decent retention. Uh, one of the things that, you know, like anyone else, we have to pay fairly. So we make an effort to try to stay current with compensation. Uh, we try to be, um, you know, be generous with benefits, those things. But, but I think probably the number one thing is the company culture. And I, I have to say, though, if you take Summit Elder Care, for example, those are very positive places to work. You know, they're, they're helping individuals and families live independently for as long as possible. And I'll tell you, I go into those Summit Elder, Summit Elder Care sites and really puts a smile on my face because um, the staff is happy that they're able to help uh, people at a, you know, a challenging time in their lives. So I think the culture of it and, and the, at the Summit Elder Care and here at the company makes a difference. But uh, make no mistake, it is tough. We are constantly recruiting. Our human resources department is unlike, is not unlike any other healthcare human resources department. You know, we always like to end the program uh, talking about federal policies and how they impact uh, the economy here in New England, because that's what the New England Council at the end of the day talks about is federal policy and how it impacts all of New England. You know, there's been an awful lot of legislation passed in the last two years in, in, in Washington, the infrastructure bill, the reduction, the reduction bill, uh, the, uh, uh, the chips bill, wonderful bills that have been passed and hopefully will continue to grow the economy. I do have a wish list from Washington to say, hey, we need some additional help here. And this is the area. Yeah, I think I, I think um, the pandemic took telehealth to a whole new level. I think there was um, it was beginning to catch on, and then with the pandemic, it just catapulted, and now it's leveling off. But it's never going to go back to what it was. And I think telehealth is it's no substitute, and some sometimes it is a perfectly appropriate and good substitute for an in-person visit, but it's not a 100% substitute by any means. But I do think if Congress can continue to look at ways to make telehealth, telebehavioral health, and other forms of telehealth as accessible as possible, that will help a lot. Now, healthcare is 
largely regulated at the state level, right? You need to be licensed at the state level, and that is an obstacle. And and I'm I wouldn't pretend to to say that that should go away. I think it's it's important, but I I do hope that Congress can find a way to make it easier for clinicians to practice across state lines, so that particularly with telehealth, you can get access in a way that is is more easy to access. I certainly know that the governor of New Hampshire has talked about this, about mm -hmm. making it easier for licensure for behavioral health in New Hampshire. Um, uh, you know, he and I had an opportunity to talk about that for a little while. I think it, it makes a lot of sense on its face. But I think Congress is, you know, right, if you're crossing state lines, you got to have Congress involved. And uh, so that's, that's one that I think would be very, very important. And of course, the other thing is uh, funding, uh, you know, it, you know, getting at it as the population ages, which it is, right? Um, as the population ages, um, it's going to cost more to to care for, um, you know, the baby boom generation, um, individuals who, you know, you know, given their life to working hard and paying their taxes and. Um, I just think it's going to be tough because there's a lot of demands on Congress's um, coffers, right? We know that. Uh, but it's, uh, I certainly hope that um, the people who need uh, the funding the most don't get hurt in the process of doing what has to be done. I understand we have to live within our means as a country, uh, but I just certainly hope that it doesn't we don't take it out of those uh, out of the pockets of those who really need it most. So I think I would make a plea for adequate Medicare and Medicaid funding. Um, you know, Medicaid. You know, most people think of Medicaid as a state program, but it's actually it's a partnership, right, between the federal That's government and the states. It's it's administered by the states, but it's funded at least fifty percent by the the federal government. Right. Well, with that, we want to thank you. Uh, Richard Burke for giving us, you know, so much of your time uh, to let our viewers know of the extraordinary leadership that you provided since uh, 2015 as the CEO, but the last 25 years, and also to learn more about the extraordinary work that uh, Fallon is doing day in and day out for so many of our neighbors and constituents throughout New England and in New York. So thanks again for giving us this uh, this preview of what what goes on at Fallon day in and day out. And congratulations. And just remember, it's only an end of a chapter of a life of a book. Uh, so uh, we know we're going to see more of you in the future and just in a different capacity. But uh, again, thank you for uh, sharing uh, your time today. Thank you, Jim.